0: Hey, podcast fans. This is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology
1: Podcast Network. Hello, it's me, Amber, from The Dirt Podcast, the show that you subscribe to. This week... I am bringing you one of my favorites from the Patreon archives during our hi- hiatus. So last year, I sat Anna down and talked her ear off about my girl, the Queen of Sheba, in scripture, in archaeology, and in history. Uh, so since this is the main feed and it was a Dirt After the Dark episode, Anna has cleaned it up a bit for general audiences from her sick bed. Get well soon, bud. Prayers up. But if you'd like to hear more content like this, possibly spicier content like this, uh, please go ahead. Check us out over on Patreon.com slash The Dirt Podcast. And while we're talking about Patreon, we have a new patron to shout out. Wow. Thank you, Amaret, for joining us. We're so happy to have you here. And I have one last announcement before I hand it over to past May. We have a live show coming up. That's right. It is almost February, which means it's almost anthro day. And this year, as we have in the past, we will be doing a live show in conjunction with the American Anthropological Association's Anthropology Day. And that will be on Thursday, February 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern. And for our friends who are listening in places where that's not an option, um, don't worry. We will record it. We'll make it available later like we always do we're looking out for you. And so to register for that, hop one over to thedirtpod.com slash anthro day 2022. That's it. That's all I've got. Okay. All right. Be good. Talk to you soon. Bye.
2: Hello, and welcome to Dirt After Dark, the monthly bonus episode where we tell you the stories too spicy for the main feed. Oh, and this time the spice includes
1: incense. I should have... Oh. Oh, very insensual here. Um, Since since last month... (laughs) um, Yeah, still last month. It was December. We finally... At time yes. of recording, yes. <laughs> we finally broached the subject of Arabia on the main feed. And since I also had grand plans of including Southern Arabia in that script, I thought it was time to bring up someone that I think about from time to time. The Queen of Sheba. So, Anna, mm-hmm. what do you know about Sheba? Have you seen the 1959 cinematic opus Solomon and Sheba? I have not.
2: And unlike you, I can't say that I really think about the Queen of Sheba from time to time. Maybe one or two times ever, but I'm aware of of the fact that this is a, a character that exists in sort of myth legend. Okay. Question mark. I associate jewels for mm-hmm. some reason okay. with the Queen of Sheba, but maybe that's because of like Sol- King Solomon's minds. Mm,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. uh, that's that's um, about it for me.
1: Ah, surprise! You haven't seen. Well, I guess maybe you had graduated by that point, but I had like a film club in the archaeology department, oh, and you know, um, I didn't participate in things, yeah, well, this was mostly my friends and me., mm. uh, so I would think you'd be there. um, yeah, and one of the movies that we watched was Solomon and Sheba huh. um, and just like, who are the um who play the t- um sheba Sheba is played by Gina Lolo Brigida, okay, who's so pretty. And um, and Solomon is played by Yul Brynner. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. um, and so, like, in preparing this script, I went down a real Yul Brynner rabbit hole mm-hmm. um, and, like, learned so much about him. But he was of, I think it's Bariat descent. Oh, interesting. Uh, the largest um, indigenous population in, in Siberia. Mm-hmm. It's like a, like a Mongolic tribe. Yeah. So, you know, like, you know cursorily Asiatic That's um, what so they put on the census form Yep, <laughs> uh, But they managed to make an entire film out of um, as we will see not a very long story
2: <laughs> and, Well, I mean, it's,
1: you know, movies more has been done with less <laughs> True <laughs> So, um, before we get started I want to point out that there's a whole whole lot to say about the Queen of Sheba without even getting close to approaching the question of whether she actually existed at all um and for me at least it doesn't even matter if she was real because the myths and meanings surrounding her are fascinating enough on their own uh, so i'm not here to argue that she did exist or she didn't exist because i don't really care um <laughs> so the origin point for jewish and christian traditions of the queen of sheba can be found in the first book of kings and the second book of chronicles in the old testament um those they're also in the hebrew bible but it's numbered differently ah okay uh, the, it's just sort of like from the, from right to left. <laughs> <laughs> so, like the books of Kings. So the the book of Kings is, I think, like the ninth book in the Hebrew Bible, but it's the eleventh and twelfth books of the Old Testament. Okay. So it's it's sort of, but they're both there, uh, and it's and the stories are roughly the same. Okay. Like they're basically the same story twice, which okay Filler. Um. <laughs> so um, Anna, could you yes. read? Could you read from, could you please, God, I feel like I'm in Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the pastor says, like, open your Bibles to sec- the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Yes. Quick question. Yes. Do I read the numbers no, you don't have to read the numbers. No, I copied and pasted this out of like bible.com or something. And so okay. this is the New International version, which feels weird to me to read because I was taught that like Jesus spoke King James English. He did, the language <laughs> the language of Judea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so it's like it's it's weird it's weird to see it in like sort of remotely like approachable English. Less, less these and thous and went went unto yeah, it was, yeah, a lot of on twos. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Onto no, you don't have to read any of the numbers. Okay,
2: here, here it goes. When the Queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions, just like trivia ones. Or what is the state <laughs> capital of North Carolina? Uh, Arriving with a very great caravan with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for him to mansplain to her. Cut that baby in half. It's fine. When the Queen of Sheba saw the wisdom of Solomon, as well as the palace he had built, The food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, the cupbearers in their robes, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe what they said until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half the greatness of your wisdom was told me. You have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be! How happy your officials, who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom! Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on his throne as king, to rule for the Lord your God. Because of the love of your God for Israel and his desire to uphold them forever, he has made you king over them, to maintain justice and righteousness. (laughs) Then she gave the king a hundred and twenty talents of gold, large quantities of spices, and precious stones. There had never been such spices as those the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Then this weird aside. There's like a weird parenthetical in the middle of the story. Yeah. I'm just imagining that it's like everything bagel seasoning. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Great. Uh, Parenthetical aside. (laughs) The servants of Hiram and the servants of Solomon brought gold from Ophir. They also brought algam wood and precious stones. The king used the algam wood to make steps for the temple of the Lord. (laughs) But what about ADA compliance? And for the royal palace, and to make harps and lyres for the musicians. Nothing like them had ever been seen in Judah. End (laughs) King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired and asked for. He gave her more than she had brought to him. Then she left and returned with her retinue to her own country. In my mind, just like as this is playing out visually, uh, Queen of Sheba is being played by Eartha Kitt. And I like that casting decision for me. I
1: like oh, that's that. interesting that that's interesting mm.
2: mm-hmm.
1: that she's like sultry. Well, I think that comes
2: along with things that I've unconsciously absorbed associated exactly. with the Queen of Sheba. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah. So in the story, it's sort of like, like, it's not a particularly like sexy story. Like yeah i like am a, no she's she's a um
2: she's, a king solomon groupie because
1: she all just right. comes in and she's like wow wow here's some the lord I'd the like lord yeah i yeah. brought you steps so no <laughs> she didn't someone else did this is oh, just Hiram like at all and it's not high yeah just like randomly like randomly the storyteller breaks off and is like by like, the way while we're talking about things brought to solomon stairs and in the and then kings um that that parenthetical is also there they just don't say that it's first steps so it's just like you brought a lot of wood there's never never been it never been more wood most beautiful wood big beautiful wood <laughs> like, um so it's um yeah so that's that's like that's that's it in in the bible Oh, That's the extent this of Sheba material. This story twice, yeah. The same story twice. Like she heard about. Oh, you, people she should up, have extrapolated like, this guy, God. So wow, so and wise, then, much like, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so um, another version of the story, um, which is slightly different, comes from the Quran. Isn't there the, twice? <laughs> the Surah An Nami. No, I think it's there once. Okay. Um, and so in it, so um, I. I'm going to read some of it and then I'm going to like summarize others because there's the like poetic tradition like is is slightly different where there's like a lot of like repetition and just like big ups uh, to God. And so I'm going to gloss over some of that for the for the points of of this story. Okay, I Um, had I had to pause to look up a hoopoe
2: bird and boy, do they have great hair.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, so um this is in the Sora Anami, the the sort of the ant. Um and I maybe it's named this because there's a nice little thing that's like um the ants are like, "Oh, everybody go home in case like lest like Solomon and his his troops like unwittingly step on us." It's like a Let's get, get out, out of way. the way. Yeah. Solomon's coming. Uh that's nice. And so Cute. there's a there so we're introduced to um Sheba, who it, later in the Islamic tradition is named Bilkis, but here yes. okay. she's not, she doesn't have a name. Um, and so he's doing like bird inventory and so- Solomon is or Solomon's doing bird inventory and the hoopoe isn't there and he's just like uh, he better have an excuse or he's getting punished. And so the hoopoe shows up and is like "Oh wait, wait, wait. And um, <laughs> he has like some hot goss because he had like popped over to Sheba and came back. And said, uh, well, and this is quoting from the translation of the Sora. It was not long before the bird came and said, I have found out something. <laughs> 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 I have found out something you do not know. I've just come to you from Sheba with sure news. Indeed, I found a woman ruling over A them. woman? Um, <laughs> one who has been given everything she needs who has a, and who has a magnificent throne. I found her and her people prostrating to the sun instead of Allah. For Satan has made their deeds appealing to them, hindering them from the right way and leaving them unguided. So they do not prostrate to Allah who brings forth what is hidden in the heavens and the earth and who knows what, what you all conceal and what you reveal." And then the bird continues to say, he is Allah. There is no God worthy of worship except him, the Lord of the mighty throne. Solomon said, we will see whether you are telling the truth or lying. And so- Bird. (laughs) Yeah, so Solomon goes to his court and he's got all of his like officials. And so Solomon, like Solomon is like super, super wise and like super like, like capable of ruling. And so he has both like humans and gen that like, listen to him and so he's like um what am I supposed to do because there's this lady ruling a kingdom and like they she's not she's not worshiping right (laughs) yeah exactly and um and like so so what am I supposed to do because like I we need to like get her to worship Allah and also it sounds like stuff's going pretty well for them there and one of the jinn is like I could like deceive her and I, I we we should disguise her throne and if she can actually see it then whatever but if she can't see it then like because you need like they're
2: testing uh, object permanence
1: i no no it's like a she can't see like through the ruse because she doesn't have Allah like on her side like because he grants discernment okay and so i i don't i don't totally understand it and solomon's like that's a great idea my dude and then i'm going back job, to bird <laughs> no, no the bird the bird's out of it the birds back oh, with the other birds, the bird so, the bird's, just bird's dropping so he took the hot he took the, he's like guys i heard this what is up and and then he sends a um he like sends a, a letter to her and it's <laughs> So he sends a letter and he's like, "Hey, what's up? Worship Allah." And she goes to her 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 chieftains or whatever, and she's like, "Guys, I just got this letter from this like super wise and amazing king named Solomon, and he says I should worship Allah. Like, what should I do? Oh my god! And uh, oh Oh, my my god! God. And yeah, and they're like, and they're like, (laughs) go take him gifts. Like, go take him gifts. And um, he's like. I don't want these gifts. I have everything. like, I've got God. You don't need that. And she's like, Oh my God. And, um, Oh my one monotheistic (laughs) God. Yeah. Yeah. He's getting me. Um, and so the, so he like invite, he invites her to, he, he like invites her to like, come on over and talk about God. Yeah. Um, he hands her a check, which like, I've definitely been like invited on dates like that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Can't say I have, Um, but yeah, I get it. <laughs> and so I'm going to quote more from the right here. Uh, then Solomon said, because this, this is him talking to his 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 boy, his, his Jin. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Um. And I I don't know if he's speaking to everyone or just the one that has like the capability of disguising things. He says, then Solomon said, quote, disguise her throne for her, so we may see whether she will recognize it or she will not be able to. <laughs> so it. when she arrived, it was said to her, "Is your throne like this?" <laughs> she replied, it looks to be the same. We have already received knowledge of Solomon's prophethood before this miracle and have submitted to Allah. So she's just like, I got it. I got it. I'm on board. Um, But she had been hindered by what she had used to worship instead of Allah, for she was indeed from a disbelieving people. Then she was told, Enter the palace. But when she saw the hall, she thought it was a body of water. So she bared her legs. Solomon said, it's just a palace paved with crystal. <laughs> At last, she declared, my Lord, I have certainly wronged my soul. Now I fully submit myself along with Solomon to Allah, the Lord of all worlds. The So do you understand what happened there? I do. I just am not sure
2: if this is sort of painting her as... Because she lacks the full ability to, to sort of penetrate the veil, thanks to Allah, that she's like, oh, it's a pool. And then she so she like gets ready for swimmies or it's just like trying to paint her as a stone cold dum-dum.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm not totally sure. Either. OK, but yeah. So just in case you weren't in case the listener like didn't follow that super well, they were like, go inside and um, like there was a like things extremely shiny thick pane of crystal so it mm-hmm. was it was clear and so it was it was she was walking across glass basically so she thought she would have um, to wade through it she thought she was gonna have to wade through water but in fact it was just glass and she was like <laughs> um, and, but she was also like super ashamed because she had to bear her legs. So the detail of bearing her legs as she attempted to wade across the optical illusion between where she stood and the throne is a saucy one. Wow. Um, and it was incorporated into later versions of the story that painted her as a conniving, sexy lady. So Which this I is think with, is,
2: is what had filtered yeah. into my brain in terms of...
1: Yeah. Um, and so we'll... T- and also, I think there's this, like, the Song of Songs is, like, sometimes... Attributed, attributed to Solomon, to Solomon right, and Sheba. written
2: to her yeah. yeah but and he's like your teeth are like flocks of sheep
1: it's like a, it's a sexy, super sexy poem sexy but, poem I know but um, but I don't think that there's any. I don't think it has anything to do with that but mm. we'll touch on a bit of that in a little while but first Anna mm. let's try to figure out where Sheba was from or rather where Sheba was and from where its queen traveled <laughs>
0: It's Chris Webster again. If you haven't checked out our new parent website, culturomedia.com then please do. Culturo is spelled K-U-L-T-U-R-O, and it's where we promote all of our live events. We've got one coming up in November. Check it out over at Culturo when it gets posted. If it's already happened and you're hearing this, then as a member, you can go to your member pages and see the event recording. Our live events are always free, but you have to show up during the event to see it. So that's culturomedia.com for all our live events and more. culturomedia.com.
2: Well, to do that, let's first venture back to Arabia and the following chunk of text is quoted from the British Museum. Quote, while there is no archaeological evidence for the existence of the Queen of Sheba, there is considerable information about Saba, the powerful incense trading kingdom where she is supposed to have resided. Saba, with its capital at Mariab, later known as Marib was the oldest and most important of the South Arabian kingdoms, which also included Qataban, Ma'in, Hadramat, and Himyar. The Awam Temple, popularly known as the Mahram Bilkis, or Temple of Sheba, and fronted by eight monolithic pillars, is the most famous of all the pre-Islamic temples of southern Arabia. And this is a building that does, in fact, exist, yes?
1: Uh, It did did until they knocked the towers down. I forgot about that until just now. They knocked down the pillars. Oh no! Ah, Okay. When you say they... (laughs) They. They is mentioned in the next sentence. Oh. It is currently... Oh no! It is
2: currently (laughs) being excavated by the American Foundation for the Study of Man. Saba is first recorded in monumental inscriptions that date from the 8th century BCE, although recent evidence suggests that the kingdom may have had its beginnings as early as the 10th century BCE, a date which is often given for the reign of King Solomon. Although some suggest this lends credence to the biblical story, it is not certain whether overland or marine trade links between Saba and Judah could have been established this early. Solomon's temple and royal palace in Jerusalem have not been discovered, and some scholars suggest that frankincense and myrrh were not used by the Israelites before the 7th century BCE. It has been suggested that the seemingly anachronistic elements of the biblical story may be explained by the fact that the passage was written down hundreds of years after the 10th century. The later writers may have wanted to associate the figure of Solomon with a female counterpart who embodied the riches of Saba, the most powerful incense trading kingdom known at the time in which they were writing, end quote.
1: And so a big reason for when the rise of the incense trade happened, like, um, is was the introduction of the domesticated dromedary camel. One, hump. so just one. Hump. So sometime we'll do a whole episode about the domestication of the dromedary because there is like a whole lot of information that's usually rattling around in my brain at any and given that,
2: moment. And I know you want to solidify your your position as camel person. I'm <laughs> like such so, a camel person, so people have, can continue to give you camel gifts.
1: I have I've been receiving camel shaped gifts for. <laughs> nearly 15 years <laughs> and um I love I think it I'm probably guilty of that I think you maybe yeah you I definitely I still have a cartoon of a camel like that you did for me I think I, my freshman year yeah like, some uh, way, I want to focus on one little piece of the the camel saga and that's that the dromedary shows up all over in the new test in the old testament less so in the new testament <laughs> Um, so, while the Bactrian, the two-hemped camel, was domesticated far earlier and contributed to overland trade in Central Asia, the hardier dromedary camel wasn't domesticated until the Iron Age in southeastern Arabia. So, there's an outside chance that domesticated dromedaries had made it to southern Arabia and thus the Sabaean kingdom uh, by the 10th century, um, but their exploitation coincided with the rise of the incense trade. So, it makes sense you have one with the other when you start okay. seeing them both moving around. Um, harder to, so this time, the 10th century is known as the the time of kings. So this is when you had Saul and David and Solomon. I don't know if there were other big kings. I didn't pay that much attention in Sunday school, but like those, that's the time of kings. Okay. Um, and the other big time in the Old Testament is the time of the patriarchs. So that's Abraham, Abraham and Moses and Isaac and all them. Jacob. Um, Esau. Sure. Uh, I thought thought we might just be naming patriarchs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like, well, he's got to name his brother. Abraham in the Hebrew Bible is said to like have camels. Um, Good for him. Doing well. But he couldn't have because the time of the patriarchs is conventionally dated to the second millennium BCE so nobody had any camels at that point in this corner of the world the other thing here that i want to mention is the very idea that sheba has a queen at all the sabians may have had female r- rulers uh we don't have evidence of that we have evidence of kings so i mean maybe like you don't They maybe they weren't like gender specific in terms of who their rulers were maybe king was job maybe and king not- was job yeah yeah and so, like they, the Sibians for sure could have had female rulers at at some point. Um, but more interesting to me is the fact that we see the idea of Arab queens come up elsewhere too. So in the Neo Assyrian period, um, which is in the first millennium BCE, eh, maybe two hundred ish years after this the, this other story is said to have taken place, uh, Tiglath Pileser the third has a run-in with a specific queen, Shamsi, uh, which means my son. It's very sweet. Um, so she was a queen of a nomadic tribe or confederation of tribes west of Assyria. So not of a sedentary population in Southern Arabia. I don't want anybody to conflate Shamsi's constituency with the South Arabian kingdoms. So it's not the same thing. Okay. Um, they just both happen to be Arab. That's not... <laughs>
2: Those things place. can exist yep. yes <laughs>
1: um but she was the successor of another queen zabibe and the predecessor of yet another queen yati so we know that there's like that it's
2: a ma- matriarchal line of some sort no well not yeah. necessarily like predecessor you mean actual like progenitor
1: the the queen no i don't i don't know about yeah, that it, we don't know uh, that but yeah it's yeah a line so of queens. there was a okay. queen in power and then she was in power and then there was another queen in power Okay, and they were the ones that were doing dealings with um with Did the Assyrians. Well, yeah tp3 um <laughs> so we know my all favorite these- droid <laughs> um we know all these names from the Assyrian annals um and we also see shamsi in a tfp laser the third relief that's now in the british museum the one that i cried at um uh, like and i'm like on video camera like somebody at the british museum was like watching security footage being like this broad <laughs> i'm just like weeping um so i um, mentioned this you idea you can't be the only one that's done that i'm sure yeah i know i mentioned this idea not only to talk about a time that i cried <laughs> um it's but come up also, a lot i know but also to remind you that ancient historians and propagandists propagandists loved talking about how weird it was that other places especially places that couldn't be conquered or fully exploited to the degree that they wished um had lady rulers i think that's so, why the
2: the romans were so like
1: about Boudica. Mm-hmm. it's like And so when we think about representations of queenship in antiquity, we should also consider the notion of alterity, of sort of like an inversion of reality. Um, And so are we just noting facts that they just, they had a queen and that's that. Like they had a queen, she showed up, she paid tribute just like everybody else. Um, Or are we displaying a perversion of our norms, the norms of the author or the, the body producing this work commissioning it, um, in, in representing them. All right. Well, now that we've looked at some of the textual sources, as
2: well as the archeological contexts for the story of the queen of Sheba as whatever they may be (laughs) and however they may be unearthed, let's look at how her portrayal has intersected with other issues in visual culture. First up, We investigate how someone from either Ethiopia or Yemen has managed to be so, so, ever so, oh, so lily white in so many representations in art. So the following is an excerpt from a great piece on BBC Culture titled How Black Women Were Whitewashed by Art. Michael Ohajuru, an art historian who leads tours around London's galleries examining the representations of black people in art, came to study Renaissance art history through his fascination with the black magus which sounds like something that's in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, but no. This was one of the three kings, or magi, depicted in the Nativity's Adoration of the Magi scenes, typically the giver of mir.
1: Why do you keep saying it
2: like that? Because I can't say it normally. <laughs> I have to say it like, like a goat. Mirror. Mirror. Ohajiru was surprised at the positivity of this figure that contrasted with history's many depictions of black people in servile roles. And he says, quote, the black king was used as a positive figure, symbolizing a young African continent that had come to join Europe and Asia in Christianity. Quote, he was used as an example of bringing the world together in the end times. End quote. Ohajiru searched for the black king's supposed origins and found them in the travels of Sir John Mandeville, a 14th century text, which says that the black magus was from Saba, a kingdom in Ethiopia. So Ohajiru was shocked to discover that many paintings of the old Testament's visitor to King Solomon, the queen of Sheba, another word for Saba, depicted her as a white woman. He references Claude Lorraine's seaport with the embarkation of the queen of Sheba. I said that weird. It's a painting. Claude Lorraine's, Seaport with the embarkation of the Queen of Sheba,
1: there we go, hanging in London's National Gallery, quote, she's shown... Which, like, I do miss the days when, like, paintings were given titles that were basically alt text. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, description of image. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) She's shown in detail at the edge of the painting, but she's white. But the Queen of Sheba I knew came from Saba that was in Ethiopia, and the Black King was from Saba, so the Queen of Sheba had to be Black in my mind, end quote. There, I got there. All it takes is a few minutes of searching Queen of Sheba painting on Google Images oh no, that imagine what my Facebook ads would be. To see a litany of reclining, exoticized white women glancing languorously either at the viewer or King Solomon. There were once some depictions of the Queen of Sheba as dark skinned, but the Renaissance saw her whitewashing and sexualization on a grand scale. For Oedjuru, it jars with earlier depictions of her, such as that scene at the altarpiece of Klosterneuberg in Austria, which portrays her visiting the king next to an image of the adoration of the Magi. And he said, quote, she was used as a prefiguration, a foreteller, a prophesizer that a king would visit the baby Jesus, just as a queen visited Solomon. End quote. Oh. Because when one person visits from another country, surely another is to no, follow. I just think from a, like a storytelling
1: craft perspective, yeah, that's yeah. really nice. It's <laughs> neat. It's a good setup. By the 18th century, she is no longer. I mean, it's a impressive queen. from like authors who managed to say the same story almost
2: exactly in the same words twice. That could have been an editorial gaffe. I know. Okay. <laughs> Control V. By the 18th century, she is no longer a queen meeting a king to have a healthy debate. She is an idolatrous seductress. But those who depicted the Queen of Sheba or indeed Andromeda had a handy excuse. Ethiopia, for both the writers of the classics and students of the Bibli, could mean very different things. As an Arabic speaker, I've always understood... This is the author speaking, not me. I cannot speak Arabic. I've always understood that the Queen of Sheba was called Queen Bilkis and came from Yemen. The etymology of Ethiopia comes from the ancient Greek for scorched faces. To them, it was a byword for anyone from hotter, further climes than even their small known world. Because okay. the story is, it like talks
1: about... um it sort of focuses on Andromeda, who's also from Ethiopia. Okay, and and Sheba. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, she was an Ethiopian princess. That's actually the first place I heard of Ethiopia was um, in like astronomy and learning about like constellations and stuff. Huh. She's, because, and yet, she's
2: always pictured as a blonde lady. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, McGrath, one of these other researchers says, it's quite unstable. It could be anywhere in Africa, even India, these vague places, sunburnt places at either end of the earth. Ethiopia can almost be like a magic land where strange things happen. When they think, well, Ethiopia can't really mean black people, Andromeda can't really be black, then they find all sorts of reasons to say that Ethiopia means something elsewhere. It means somewhere in the east, and they can easily point to the fact that there's a vagueness around the place of Ethiopia, end quote. The translation of the Bible from which Renaissance artists would have been working had also gone through several iterations since its creation. McGrath writes in The Black Andromeda about how in the original Hebrew and then Greek, the Queen of Sheba declares in the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, I am black and beautiful. By the time this makes it into the 405 CE translation into Latin Vulgate and becomes but, I am black but beautiful. Oh, I hate that.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: In England, the 1611 publication of the King James Bible changed it even further. I am black, but comely. The racist attitudes that diminished and hypersexualized black women are obvious. Perhaps it's this phrase, rather than any painting, that has been the most destructive of them
1: all. Isn't that really interesting? Really Isn't interesting. So interesting. And, and I had no like- idea about Andromeda. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, like Cassiopeia was Cassiopeia was the was the queen of Ethiopia. And she's the one who um angered Aphrodite by I mean I remember I know like, the story. So and so I think it was the Red Sea where Andromeda was chained to the rock.
2: Oh wow for okay. Cetus
1: to come and, and chomp her. Yeah. Um, but also I think I thought that this is really interesting to like when you were talking about what you associate with Sheba at the very Mm -hmm. top of the episode Mm -hmm. um like this is kind of how that ultimately came about and that it's sort of like a like a parallel like a parallel development of her becoming less black but also more sexualized that is super interesting So now let's return to that time she bared her legs. Um, So this comes from a blog post from um, a publication um, called Beautiful in Theory, which is really interesting. I poked around on it a bit and it's titled, spoilers for what I'm going to be talking about, The Queen (laughs) of Sheba's Hairy Legs. So... So I'm going to quote a bit from that. It is the Islamic tradition that developed the endlessly intriguing myth of the Queen of Sheba's hairy legs. In the Quran, the Queen's legs do appear, but we only hear that on entering Solomon's palace, she sees that the floor appears to be a long glistening pool of water. She hitches up her skirts to wade through, finding to her surprise that it is merely, merely polished glass. What? As Barbara Friar Stauser points out, nearly having shown her legs is enough for the queen to exclaim, I have committed an outrage against myself. Now I submit, in Islam, together with Solomon to God. In later Islamic versions, the story of the glass floor is specifically intended to trick the queen into showing her legs so that Solomon can ascertain the truth of the rumors that the beautiful queen of Sheba hides the hairy legs of a devil under her sumptuous skirts. Um, and that's where I had heard Sort of like she had goat legs. And so mm. like I think it's like whether it's sort of like a literal like just hairy or like hairy like devilish cloven-footed. Um, because in some stories she is not a fully human parentage. Mm-hmm. That her mom was the gen and her dad was the king. In the Targum Sheni, I think it's an Ethiopian Ethiopian text. Book text corpus um solomon exclaims on seeing the queen's legs you are a beautiful woman but hairiness is for men it is the queen of sheba's political power that makes her dangerous enough to solomon for him to find it necessary to subdue her however it is significant that the perversity of this power wielded by a woman is symbolized by the queen's hairy legs by a blot on her beauty clearly if she is so powerful then she cannot really be a woman Beauty, therefore, is a manifestation of weakness and of femininity, two attributes which are irrevocably connected. In the Jewish stories of Sira, Solomon is able to sexually possess the queen once her hairy legs have been made smooth in an echo of Samson and Delilah.
2: This episode a story- brought to you by Venus razors. <laughs>
1: A story which offers a clear example of hair as a signifier for masculine strength, inappropriate for a woman. However, beauty tends to be described as a power, and the queen's seductive power is one of the factors that make her so dangerous. But it is perhaps a secondary power, ineffable in contrast to the actual physical strength of men, and once a woman's beauty is sexually possessed, it loses its influence and its threat. (sighs) The implication of this argument is that beauty is only powerful in a metaphorical sense. Man. So, lastly, I won't speak on this too much because I've neither read nor seen American Gods. Have you read or seen American Gods, Anna? I have. I've read it. Oh, you've, okay, you read it. Okay. Yeah. Long time ago. Um, since that might be the most current incarnation of the Queen of Sheba, I want to call listeners' attention to an essay on a website called The Fundamentals entitled yeah, entitled Keys, Queen of Sheba and American Gods. And just super quick quote that I think is a nice little taste of it. Mm-hmm. Um, quote, American gods chose to call the Queen Bilkis, which would associate her with the Islamic tradition. At the same time, they cast a black actress, which could create an association with the Ethiopian version of the story as well, I suppose. The version of her depicted on the show, on the other hand, clearly draws more on European traditions, be they Jewish or Christian. Mm. Um, and so it's something, so it's not really the essay is really interesting to me, uh, and it's an exploration of some of the failures of the author of the source material and also the showrunners in what what one might call lazy characterization and story sure. development. Um, so you've got like the hypersexualization of black characters making what we're supposed to think are sympathetic characters kill randos because they're powerful ladies, um, like that sort of stuff. Where you're sort of like, it's it's so it's an interesting lens onto how we can cherry pick that. from different traditions yeah. to bend mythical characters to our own ends, whether yeah, they be intentional or unintentional, that quite a bit. Yeah, and so if if this is something that is of interest to you, if you've if you've read it or if you watched it or you've done both, like um, I think that this is and, and according to the bio of the author, um, that person is a graduate student in like religious studies. Yeah, and so interesting. Um, yeah. And I think so. I think they might like know something about like, what's, what's going <laughs> yeah. on behind it. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. So I recommend that. Great. And then we've got. And I have so many things to look up now. Oh. Well,
2: this has been a, a wandering <laughs> trek through a desert of information. Yep. It's a bad metaphor. But thanks, everybody, for listening and for continuing to support us with your Patreon contributions. We really, really appreciate it because it means we get to produce episodes like this one. (laughs) Yeah, Thanks, everybody. We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye.
0: This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at arcpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.